Welcome back to the Laser Graves podcast. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, E.K. Wimmer. I am Mariah Rose. And you're listening to a podcast about the 80s, if you are new. Thanks for joining us. If you're returning, thanks for coming back. If you are interested in finding old episodes, you can always go to lasergraves.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You should probably just pause and follow us. Yeah, for sure. Follow us. Steal your friend's phone and make them follow us without them knowing. It's a hilarious joke. (laughs) It's really cool. Do it. And uh, give us five stars. But thanks for joining us this week. Um, We are coming back with a movie after last week. We did a a kind of an event talking about Andy Warhol in the 80s. He was an event. He was definitely, his life was an event. But this week we're coming back to um, tried and true classic 80s horror. Actually, really early 80s for us. We don't do a lot of early 80s films. This is my birth year. This is the one and only 1981. Woo! The the year the world was a better place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we are going to be talking about a classic from this year. But before we jump into that, do you have any thrift store finds of the week? You know what? No. Oh, whoa. I know. Shaking it up. Okay. So, oh, shake it up. Yeah. So what I did, I reversed it. I flipped it. I reversed it. Okay. I loaded up a bag, two bags of stuff to give to a thrift store. Oh, is that your way of saying you didn't find anything this week? <sighs> I did go to suspecting that I went to one thrift store and I just walked around and I was like "Ah." and then I saw another armadillo if you listen to last week I almost bought an armadillo this one was a lamp oh okay we don't need a lamp and I was like ugh I just need to get rid of stuff so I came home and loaded up some bags for thrift stores okay what did you find what did you bring back out it's like a (laughs) it's like the uh, human centipede in and out yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah it's kind of like that gross whatever (laughs) I don't know if I would have used that analogy Um, I had some good finds. I had some vinyl finds. I, I walked into a thrift store. There was a cart uh, on the top cart of, oh, to right. be put out. was all DVDs. On the bottom was all VHS. And I was like, yes. It's like my favorite is right when they put a, a big cart out. Oh, yeah. But there was nothing. However, on the top of the cart over the DVDs was like five records. There was a Fleetwood Mac record. I was like, ugh. And then I lifted it up. What? I'm... Okay, hold okay, on. Okay, well, we can have that conversation later. I'm liking Fleetwood. I'm sorry. <laughs> they, had, they had one good song. and But I lifted up the record, and underneath were all these like great uh, late 90s, early 2000s era records. Chumbawamba. That, <laughs> not Chumbawamba. <laughs> <laughs> but it was um, just a big surprise. One of the ones that I found was this band called Sleigh Bells, which is just this you know like know. hipster electronic band. I really liked that album, too. And uh, there was it was sitting there on vinyl. That's weird it's for this very weird area. one to find in a record store. I found a Beach House album on vinyl. Not in a record store, in a thrift store. Yeah, in a thrift store. Um, I, you know, I found all kinds of like four or five records, and they were all really good. Mm-hmm. Ninety nine cents. So I grabbed them all. What weirdo yeah. got rid of them? I don't know, but that is that is very unlikely that you find kind of that era of records. Yeah, in, it's hard to find cool store. stuff. Yeah. So that was my find this week. That's good. We've balanced the scales. We sure have. All right. All right. Well, this week we are kind of coming at you with a real classic, I would say. This is kind of the 
the granddaddy of the mm-hmm. of the werewolf films. I'm surprised we haven't covered this before, honestly. Yeah, well, we've kind of avoided bigger films until more recently. We've been diving in just because they're fun. You know, we avoided them for a long time, but I actually kind of enjoy jumping into these real classics because people know them. It's time to sometimes take a step out of the the elitist pool and <laughs> well i don't the... know i've got my oh, eye like, on no. got my eye on some films i really want to do but yeah so... we kind of I mean, it's always balancing the scales sometimes you got to go mainstream and then sometimes you have to do like a video of two hours of a dog barking yeah i think uh to our longtime listeners you know what to expect because when we start to go more like we're gearing up the mainstream you can bet that we're just basically trying to give ourselves uh some breathing room to do uh, something that that we really are are very interested in doing mm-hmm. and is not popular but this week <laughs> 1981 an american werewolf in london this mm-hmm. is a, a heavy hitter I've had this film on the shelf for quite a while, and yeah, we've just never even put it in a stack for consideration, ever. Yeah, This yeah. was the first week we've ever even considered it. And we chose it. Well, I had a few other ones. I don't even remember what was in there, but you were like, yep, mm, not not quite, not quite. And I just kept pulling yeah. bigger and bigger ones and getting more nervous, because I don't like pulling really well, mainstream Well, yeah, ones. like Willow was in the stack. Yeah, Child's Play was in the yeah. stack, you know, and then... Uh, You chose this one. I was really happy that you chose this one. Yeah, well, I kind of, I think we should watch Willow with our kids. I think they're old enough, so that might be like a, something we cover as a group. But this one, you can't do that with children. Yeah, no, definitely not. Don't do it. Well, this is written and directed by the legendary John Landis, who you would know from a ton of stuff. Mm -hmm. Some of his more kind of popular titles would be Animal House, Twilight Zone, which we won't even get into, but we, wink, wink, might um, cover an aspect of that for a future episode. (laughs) Uh, Spies Like Us, one of my personal favorite films as a child, and another big one in our house, uh, Three Amigos. (laughs) Why haven't we covered that? (gasps) He did the motions. I did. <laughs> this isn't a video situation, but you get it. You still know. It. You know oh. it. Anyway, um, yeah, so John Landis, written and directed. He actually started this a decade earlier and it's kind of shelved it. And that's important because one of the other big, big, heavy, I would say this may be a hot take, but I really don't think so in the horror community. The more important person involved in this film would be Rick Baker, the special effects artist, because oh, yeah. this is like... This is a, a master time? class, yeah, in special effects and set the the standard in the bar and really is the oh, pinnacle, yeah. which is hilarious because all these other films came out after and they didn't quite still like have that feel. And it still holds it up. Awesome. I mean, there are parts of it yeah. where you're like, ugh. And practical but, effects, though, versus, you know, digital effects and stuff. They just, if done right, hold yeah. up. So we'll get into that later. But Rick Baker had agreed to help him out way back when. And then basically just got sick of waiting around sure. because John Landis wasn't making the film. Well, nobody likes to wait, and especially after a decade's passed. Yeah, well, and he was in demand, and he had already developed like these kind of techniques for transformation, and then it was just never happening. So you know what he did? Mm-mm. He took it and uh, started the howling. <laughs> and then... Oh. oh, yeah, and this caused a lot of tension. But basically, it, while he was on the howling... That's when John Landis called and said, I'm doing an American Werewolf in London. I need you. And basically kind of shamed him into 
quitting because he had agreed to do it. He quit? So he left the howling, left it to his assistant and signed on to do this. And so, yeah, it was kind Ooh. of a, a little bit of a drama there. Weird. Although I think this was a smart choice because we'll talk about the um, kind of what happened with this, the way it was received and and the accolades it got. This was a um, pretty smart for Rick Baker to take this on Mm -hmm. because it would really... He was already well established, uh, but this would make him a household name. Yeah, it really features his skill set. That's why I would say this is, in my opinion, this is really a Rick Baker film. Like this mm-hmm. is, sure, it's a John Landis film, but man, um, it's all around this, this yeah. special effects. And if you like, imagine what special effects were in '81, it would have been like shocking. Yeah, which is also an interesting thing. I was reading, and the actors um, who play our leads. When they were at one of the premieres, they realized that in early on in the scene, which we'll get to later, um, you know, even though we're not going to walk through scene by scene, but when we first see, you know, a werewolf be shot and then transform back into the human with bullet holes, uh, they said, the actor said that the audience was totally confused because the werewolf like lore in cinema hadn't quite been established yet. And the majority of moviegoers didn't know the process of werewolf, like that you turned back after you were shot. Because after this is when we got, you know, Teen Wolf and all this, like every film, you know, uh, Silver Bullet, all that kind of stuff. So it is really kind of interesting to think that we are talking about an early entry. I mean, sure, there had been werewolves, but not like this. This was really, this was a heavy hitter. This was a major success when it came out. Do you remember the first time you saw it? Because I think I showed this one to you. Oh, do you? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a first-time watch. What? Dead serious. I've never seen it. What? (laughs) Yeah. I know I've shown you Paris. Yeah, I've seen Paris for sure. But I... um, I've always thought I saw it. I was going to save it for my fun fact, but it's not. Uh, yeah, this was kind of like how you dropped the bomb on me for Night of the Demons. Oh. I have never seen an American world oh, until Oh, that's so exciting. Yep. And I was pleasantly surprised. It was not what I thought it was going to be after all oh. these years. I knew it was a horror comedy, and I thought it would be... A little more like fast paced and funny and it is billed as a comedy, but it's it's like lightly funny. It is. It's like dark humor. It, it's definitely a comedy, but it's it's mm. not the kind of comedy I was expecting. Yeah, and um, it's also more of a kind of a I wouldn't say a drama, but there's a lot more story to it than I a lot thought. More there dialogue. Was, yeah, than I thought there would be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there you go. It was wow. Uh, I'm excited to hear uh, your you know conclusions yeah because i'm not going into this with like years of adoration for it you know oh yeah this was i remember seeing this as a kid and blah 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 it's not even though i there are a few classics still i won't give them all away right now but there are some heavy hitters that i still have not yeah seen just because i just never got around to them or how can you because there's like a quadrillion yeah well with us you know the odds were we we would have gotten to them but then again, we do have this situation sometimes where I assume I've seen it because yeah. like, why wouldn't I have seen it? And then I find out, oh, I guess I hadn't. That's what happened with Cutting Class is you were sure I had seen yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Interesting. So this was uh, fun for a couple different reasons. So anyway, oh. uh, Rick Baker, let's get back to him real quick before oh, okay. we move on. You would know him from, uh, you know, some pretty major stuff he did the you know it's a live series uh he mm-hmm. also worked on star wars like i said the howling 
video drone, which we've done in the past. Mm-hmm. That was a previous episode. Go listen. Yeah, go listen. That was a big one. And then after that, when we get out of the 80s, he was responsible for some major ones like Men in Black, Planet of the Apes, all that stuff. He won another Academy Award years later for um, The Wolfman with, I think, Benicio Del Toro. So he's he's got a thing for werewolves? There have only been two Academy Awards for special effects ever given for a werewolf movie, and both went to him. Oh. The first one being this film. Okay. Which was the very first Academy Award ever given for um, a, a special effects artist. Wow. Well, what had happened was it was after... It actually, it ties to our you know one of our all-time favorite directors, David Lynch, was there was a lot of... Um, disappointment with the Elephant Man not being considered for an Academy Award due to makeup because they had done such an amazing job. Mm -hmm. And the pressure in 1980 when that came out led to 81, the Academy established a new category. Mm -hmm. And the very first one to receive it was Rick Baker for An American Werewolf in London. Wow, okay. So there you go. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I guess. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah. Main actors, it's a pretty small cast, actually. Even though there's a lot of people, it really only centers around a couple people. Yeah, it's very narrow field. And um, our our leads, Jack and David, are, are really kind of the main cast. And then the nurse that we'll get to. Mm-hmm. They all did a really great job, I thought. It was, yeah, it was solid. I don't, I don't feel like I was ever taken out of the film. You know how that happens sometimes with actors and actresses and you're like, oh my gosh, they're, <laughs> they're thinking about the coffee they have just on the other side of the camera or whatever. I didn't really feel that way. You but know, about the actors, I know that the guy who played Jack, uh, this was his first feature. Oh, really? I don't even think he auditioned. I think he just basically like had a conversation. Weird, because I thought he seemed more seasoned than the guy who plays our lead, David. Did you, you, did you recognize David? No, what's he from? This is funny. Um, I read up on this, and he was actually already pretty famous. <laughs> Not huh? for movie acting. What? He was the face of Dr. Pepper. And he was the I'm a Pepper guy in all those 80s commercials. Whoa, I don't think I knew Dr. Pepper existed until the 90s. Well, I guess it would have been uh, early 80s because this is 81. But Mm -hmm. you get out. So, yeah, that's he. And that's John Landis knew him from that. So he was like, I need the I'm a Pepper guy? (laughs) I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So this Uh, is big break. All right. What did you think of these guys? It opens with the Blue Moon playing um, soundtracks. Pretty cool. But, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's oldies. I dig it. I, I'm obsessed with the oldies in general because in high school I got grounded from contemporary music. <laughs> and I begged my parents, begged them for some music. And they're like, fine, you can listen to the Christian music channel or the oldies channel. So obviously I only listen to the oldies, but this this film has a ton of oldies, so it's right at my alley. Yeah, you're very well seasoned in, in oldies. I am too. That was one thing that we bonded over early yeah. on in our relationship because with me, it wasn't that I was grounded and could only listen to the oldies station. It was that my next door neighbor, who was actually my um, sister's future husband, it was his family that lived right across the street. And his dad had a tape collection, Mm -hmm. and I would borrow tapes from him. And one of the things that he had was this huge series of 
classics from the 50s and 60s. It was like, um, you know, the oldies classics. Uh And it was a huge, like, 10 to 20 volume set on cassette of all the hits from the 50s and 60s. Oh, sure. So I would borrow them and go home and listen to them. And that's how I kind of became well-versed with the 50s and 60s music and kind of like Motown and doo-wop and, um, you know, the Supremes. And I, I just loved all that stuff. So... Yeah, when it opened with Blue Moon, I was I was pretty excited. Yeah, it's a solid way to start it, and it's two uh, backpackers. Yeah, who have clearly never been backpacking. They're in the <laughs> they're in the back of a uh, like a sheep wagon, so like a a truck filled with sheep. They're in the back. Uh, the farmer, the sheep rancher, whatever herder. He's not hurting them. They've been herded. Who knows what this guy is? I think you're just a herder if you have sheep, right? I don't know. Maybe he's the sheep transporter. (laughs) Okay, yeah. That's a title. Yep. And he opens the tailgate and two backpackers who are American hop out and they find themselves in the countryside. I like this premise right away, by by the way. I think this is cool. The idea of... Americans just backpacking through Europe, which is a very common thing. We've had friends do that. I think the idea of just kind of exploring and going out. They mentioned early on that they're out for three months. Yeah, they Um, plan to end up in Rome. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a great way to start a film. Again, Mm -hmm. because it was a first time watch. I didn't know the premise of this at all. I mean, I knew there was a werewolf in it. And it probably (laughs) took place in London. That's the best I could do. Yeah, and they're not in London yet. But, you know, one thing that I like about this it's so true of americans we think that when we leave our country that we go to a place and it's safe oh yeah and <laughs> we're like america's gonna, like, speak rough. our language and do things for us well i mean if we go to yeah. england i think that's fair but um i mean as far as the language part but they go there and they're unafraid they're like everything's safe here and they just begin wandering they the guy that releases them from the back of the sheep truck He's like, stay off the moors. And they're like, cool, cool, cool. And they, they just, just go right into them. <laughs> I think maybe they don't even know what moors are. Yeah. Because they're like, we're not British. Who cares? We're going into this direction. And they just wander off into the moors straight away. Yeah. Clearly not sticking to the roads. And fair enough. I mean, England is small. So if you're in America, you're like, well, if I just walk in a straight line for long enough, I'm bound to run into something. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, here you could walk in a straight line for, I don't know, 500 miles and oh, not run easily. into anything. Yeah. Yeah. It could take you in Wyoming alone. It could take you three hours to get to the next town. So that's driving, and that's driving at like 85 <laughs> miles an hour. <laughs> yes. So they just wander off into the moors. And like I said, they run into a town. They walk into some very, very small... Uh, like a tavern or a pub. Yeah, it's called The Slaughtered Lamb, yeah. which, I, I I don't know. In my mind, all of these like old establishments in England, they just have crazy names like that. So, <laughs> so they comment on it, but I'm like, why? Yeah. It's called The Night's Brew. It's called The Slaughtered Lamb. It's yeah. called like Gargoyles or Us. I don't know. And it's been around for 700 years. Absolutely. I really like this scene starting off. You know, they all get quiet right away and it's clear <sighs> that they're, you know, the, the uh, tourists... It all kind of comes together when there's this one guy who's playing darts and is like an, you know, expert dart player. So there's this like pentagram or something on the wall. Five-pointed star. They call it a, a pentangle? Is that uh-huh. a term? That's not... I think that's something you do uh, in a like color by numbers. Okay. 
Yep. I feel like it's something you do in the bathroom. Like, guys, <laughs> chop the pentangle in It's going to be a while. <laughs> Don't go in there. It's like a five-pointed star with candles around it. And one of, I think it's Jack, who's really pushing to ask about it. Yeah, he's super nosy. He is. He's very Has American. Has he never been in a bar? Yeah. Well, or he, a pub? He asks, and everybody flips out and stops. Pure silence. And the dude who's been playing darts the whole time throws and misses. How far north is this? Because I felt like there was, it wasn't just like a straight up British accent. I, I felt like there were hints because you. I don't I, know. It's a very small space. So why do they have so much variety in their accent? I don't know. Because I felt like he came at him with the most like mangled accent. He's like, I threw my daughter enough never and miss my daughter in my life. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? I, I may be. Um, I may be exaggerating his accent, but in my mind, that's what I remember. And I was like, where is he even from right now? But he, needless to say, he was very upset about missing his darts. Who wouldn't be? And he's like, I think you boys should be moving along. <laughs> he's like, it's over and done with. <laughs> it's over and done with. Get out of here. You better walk 500 miles. It's he just... <laughs> And so he, just, good. he leaves. But anyway, they get kicked out. And the, the bartender is like, you can't let him just go. And they wander like Americans do straight off the street. This is stupid and they deserve to die. If they are American, what do you do in America? You're like, oh, I'm in a place I don't know. I'm going to walk into the wilderness. I kind of no. just wanted them to die because of it. but They deserved it straight up. They're all warning them. Like, look out for the moon. He's, they've been told so many times, moon, yes. bad, moors, also bad, state of the roads, why? <laughs> and they don't. They immediately go off the roads. And this kind of is pretty quick because they are followed by a beast. It shows up and it right away. I mean, it's this like is, howling and making scary sounds around them. And the people in the pub in the slaughtered lamb hear these sounds. Yeah. So everybody knows something's out on the moors. And the bartender lady, she's like, you know, this is akin to murder. And she's telling them, you, you mm-hmm. really messed up here, other pub goers. And is shaming them for sending these Americans out into the moors. This scene really caught me off guard because the the wolf creature attacks Jack and kills him. Like, yeah, right there on the spot. Poor Jack, because he was do he was he was. I thought he was going to be there till the end. He's on the cover of the movie. Yep. But he he gets killed right away, and then David gets attacked. And then the well, village people show up out of nowhere. David gets attacked, but he was, like, running away. He's like, later days. He totally was ditching his friend, yeah. I mean, if you see your friend being actually violently gored to death, I, I don't know. Who can say? Because it's fight or flight. Yeah. I don't know. But he's running, and then he also gets attacked. And then as he's being attacked, all of the pub goers come, and they're like, whoopsies, we made it bad, and they shoot him. This made it shoot seem the, like... Shoot the werewolf. The, it was so easy for them to kill the werewolf. I'm like, like why, why were they so afraid, dude? Why didn't you do that, like, a hundred years <laughs> ago? That, like, every full moon, you could have just been like, well, time to go out and shoot some werewolves. Yeah. They shoot him, but he does show the the... The creature drops and turns immediately into a person with bullet holes, like I was saying earlier about the theater scene. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, so I was like, oh, wow, they're really just kind of going all in right away. Yeah. So David's laying there knowing he's been attacked by what he thinks is like a wild animal. And as he's like slipping away into unconsciousness, he looks over and sees that there's a naked man dying next to him. Mm-hmm. It's not his friend. 
but he doesn't really put it together and then he wakes up in a hospital bed. Yeah, and this kind of, I, I wouldn't call it a second act yet because it really, well, I don't know. It Maybe is. it is. Um, it shifts the tone of the whole film, really, because Absolutely. It, uh, it slows down considerably. Up until this point, it was really kind of fun, but also weird. And, and kind of tense. Yeah, it was more of a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And then we get stuck in this this kind of act for a while where we're at a hospital and David's recovering. It's been three weeks. So he's been unconscious for three weeks. And I say this is one of beyond the whole like wolf person thing. Uh, unbelievable. I don't know if it's like a British healthcare situation <laughs> where he can be in the hospital for three weeks and then he's awake for another week after that. So a full month for what essentially is some scratches on his chest and face. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of interesting. It's a very long time for a hospital stay and also a very long time for a coma. Yes, but he's in London in this hospital and Scotland Yard comes up to try and investigate. Mm-hmm. They determine right away there's clearly no problem. And then we get a series of, I don't know how important this was to the script, but I really do like it for the film, is... He kind of hallucinates and goes in and out of consciousness. And we get these weird scenes that are really just an excuse to have cool, scary scenes in the film. Yeah. But they don't really play a role in the movie as much. Um, One of them, the very first one that's really kind of funny is he's like nude frolicking through the woods. Yes. And then he uh, eats a deer. Yeah, he's not frolicking. He's hunting. Well, no, but he's like skipping and hopping. He's totally frolicking. He's trying to run like a like a dog actually side note i saw an instagram video of two dudes at a gym i don't know why it came up on my suggested viewing feed but it was two men at a gym one was on a treadmill running like a dog (laughs) (laughs) they were both super buff and one of them was running super fast and he was doing an excellent job and then he falls off and goes flying. Anyway, oh, uh, it was a similar situation. He's running and attacks it. But I think the idea is to show that he's got like an animal nature that's being yeah, awoken for sure. with him. Um, we also meet uh, basically our other lead now in the film, uh, the nurse who Alex happens to be a babe. That's convenient. So uh, it's always handy. All always nurses handy. are babes. Yeah. Well, not all, but the one uh, that that really is into him for some reason, for no reason. It's his accent. Oh, do you think she's it is? like? Oh, he's an American. I like his accent. Ah, uh, this would be interesting to ask our like British listeners. Mm-hmm. Are British women wooed by American accents? Or are they disgusted? What about British men? What do you mean? Well, you asked if British women were wooed. Well, because I was just thinking about the nurse to him. Like, okay. would this be a, re- a realistic situation where she would know nothing about his personality, but because he has an accent, uh, he's more exotic to I, her? I suspect she's just dumb. <laughs> okay, well, we'll go with that. Okay. Well, Nurse Alex is conveniently hot. And then we get... <laughs> conveniently. <laughs> we get more um, dreams. This one is... Probably one of my favorites in the whole movie and has nothing to do with anything. Oh, yeah. This, like, Nazi... Um... So he's back at home. He's in New York, where right. he's from. in his dream. Yes. And he's, like, sitting with his... He's got, like, way younger siblings who are, mm-hmm. like, 10-year-olds, even though he's a full-grown man. That's believable, though, because your I, brother was in elementary when yes, you were in college. Yes, I have a brother who's 12 years younger than me, yeah. so it is believable, but it's a little strange, like, as far as choices go, because it's a, 
the first time I saw this, I thought it was like his kids or his family. I was just confused mm. what he was dreaming about. But some like Nazi kind of monsters. I don't even know if they're really werewolves break in and kill the family. Yeah, I know that Rick Baker is one of them. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Oh, really? Yeah, I think he's the one that slits the, th- the throat. Oh, fun. So John Landis had to cut several scenes out to get like the rating back down. Sure. And I think one of them was this era or was this scene here where the throat gets slit and I think a piece of toast like came out of the throat <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember if that would make funny. sense though it's pretty dry humor they look awesome this they whole do. scene is super cool it just has nothing to do with the movie whatsoever well but it, it is good because it creates this sense that he is uh, descending into madness I also think that it's creating sort of an idea of a bloodline uh, linking him to previous oh, uh, werewolves. Okay. Because immediately after this, uh, his friend Jack, who is dead, he appears. He's, right. n- he's not in a dream. He actually appears in the hospital room where David still is inexplicably laying after three weeks. This made me... I mean, I questioned this through the whole movie. Was he real like he was yeah. an actual corpse or was he a figment of his imagination he was a real corpse but he was only there for david so nobody else ever saw them because he wasn't showing up when they were around right i think when i when i realized oh i think he is real was the theater scene yeah later, we'll get there which is pretty cool yeah so he shows up and uh he talks to david and he really wants to eat toast uh with david david's like laying in his bed eating breakfast and he reveals that they were attacked by a werewolf, sort of, sort of lays the groundwork because David is a little slow to the upkeep here. And he's like, wait, what? what? <laughs> huh? And he's like, yep, I died. And I'm going to continue to haunt you until this bloodline is severed. What do you think about this? So, again, being a first time watch, I was really not expecting this and i don't know if i've ever heard of this before in lore that i've never heard of it before uh, that if a werewolf attacks somebody and kills them they are then they they like roam this the world as they a just ghoul haunt him and can't go to the afterlife yeah until he's dead yep that was a strange addition to werewolf lore which I kind of liked, but I kind of was like, that's a lot to keep track of, I think. I feel like it would get real crowded real fast. <laughs> exactly, if you've that's been what a, I thought too. If you've been a, va- or a, not a vampire, a werewolf for however long. I mean, yeah. say you kill one a month for yeah. 20 years. That's a lot. That's and a big number. And you've got like 40 like, ghouls following you around. And, and- they're all encouraging suicide because... Uh, his friend, he right now it's only, and actually I don't know why Jack is following him because he did not kill Jack, but Jack is there. But I think it's because he took on the werewolf. Okay, right? so sure. However, Jack probably wasn't the only person he ever killed. So why isn't it Jack and everybody, every single oh, werewolf whoa, in the bloodline? Yeah, good point. So it's, I'd say they messed up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, that's actually a, a valid observation. Yes. I hadn't even thought about that. So he didn't kill Jack, but Jack's there. And Jack's like, I can't die until you do. Mm-hmm. And you can't make another one. You got to just cut it off here. And uh, David thinks he's losing his mind. And yeah. I think I think that's fair at this point. Yeah. 
I mean, no notes. You've done well. You've said, maybe I'm going crazy at this point. And that's maybe that's why he's hospitalized. We do get a couple other kind of scary scenes and stuff like that while he's in the hospital. I feel like this went on for quite a while. Um, yes, but we, we should say that uh, Alex mm-hmm. starts sitting with him at night, the nurse. Yeah. And so they start to develop a relationship. And at some point, she's like, what are you doing when you get released? Because weirdly, his family has apparently doesn't care to come check on him. And he's like, I don't know. And she's Mm -hmm. like, just come live with me. It's cool. We do get a little cameo before he leaves the hospital, though. The uh, I think he's from the American Embassy. A guy comes in and checks on him. And that's Frank Oz. Oh, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. So he gets discharged and David goes home with Alex. We do get one cool scene. There's like this montage of them working their way towards her apartment and they're in the subway and there's some punks, some classic 80s punks. Yes. One of them's got like leopard print hair. Oh. It's pretty cool. One of my high school friends did that. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I thought I was like, I was pretty impressed. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Speaking of subways, we should look into the movie Subway with Christopher Lambert and oh. see if um, it's worth kind of visiting or not. I haven't seen that since I was maybe in high school. It's been a very long yeah, time. But yeah, but I remember it being this cool like cyberpunk movie. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. We'll look into it. Anyway, so... I really liked this in the story, too, is that Alex wastes no time when they get to the apartment. She's like, look, (laughs) she unloads on him the most um, honest and blunt and hilarious dialogue. And we both laughed pretty hard. And this is what she has to say to him. Like, keep in mind, he's been in a hospital, just gets home to her apartment. And he's like, there's only one bed. And this this is her response to that. I'll be perfectly honest with you, David. I'm not in the habit of bringing home stray young American men. I should hope not. I find you very attractive and a little bit sad. Go on. I've had seven lovers in my life, three of which were one night stands. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but... Well, okay, so in all fairness, I think that they have crossed a different line, so their boundaries are a little bit blurred because she's already accepting the fact that he thinks he's crazy and is seeing werewolves yes, and ghouls and stuff. So, I mean, for her to say, to talk about her seven lovers, I mean, it's pretty mild considering the conversations they've had. That's true. It's weird. I mean, who cares, lady? It's none of his business. I mean... Yep. Whatever. After uh, Alex and David have had their special moment, he wakes up that night. She's asleep. And his friend Jack is there again, encouraging him to kill himself. But Jack is, every time he appears, he's more and more decomposed. So he's like, I do like that. Pretty gnarly ghoul at this point. And it looks good. This is where I think, again, Rick Baker's on display is that, like, it just looks. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, actually, the doctor who was treating David, David had kind of talked to him about thinking he's a werewolf. And the doctor, I actually dug the doctor because he's like, ah, you're so close to release. Let's, uh, you know, 
dial this back a little bit so I can just get you out of here. But it kind of sits uneasily with him. And he goes to, he like decides he's a detective that day and goes to the slaughtered lamb and goes into this pub and starts asking questions. They're a little more accepting of him because he's not American, but eventually they're like, ick, get out of here. Well, especially when he's like from London too. (laughs) Yeah, then they're like, never mind. You're not one of us. (laughs) Too big city. But he begins asking them about werewolves and kind of has some of his, he's actually got quite an open mind uh, for a man of science. Yeah. Has his uh, suspicions confirmed? Yeah, with Dart Boy, who's mm-hmm. like you know, gonna gonna tell him all about the werewolves. Meanwhile, David is back at he's just hanging out, totally one hundred percent freeloading at Alex's house. Yes, he's like watching TV, reading books, whatever. We also soundtrack, you know, throughout this movie. There's a lot of kind of popular songs. Right here, we get Bad Moon Rising, CCR, mm-hmm. while he's kind of at home alone and really bored and a little stir-crazy. CCR. You know, one of the songs we were waiting for the whole film and never played was uh, Warren, Warren Zevon, oh, Werewolves, Werewolves of, of London. London. They couldn't get the rights. Well, I read a a little fact, I think it was on IMDb, where the actors wondered, too, like, why was that never in the film? Yeah. Nobody ever got an answer. But he did try and get a lot of pretty big songs, and some of them he just couldn't get the rights to. But one of them was a song by Cat Stevens, and he couldn't get the rights to that uh, because Cat Stevens had already kind of converted to Islam. Oh, yeah. He's Yusuf now. Yeah, uh, he didn't want to be involved with or have his music associated with like violence and gore and all that. That's good. So I think that was called Moonshadow. Oh, yeah. And I think John Landis, his criticism was that song is about like violence and stuff. So it was kind of like, okay, whatever. You know what he should have done? Hmm. Traveled to the future, accessed Shakira, brought back. Oh, yeah. Ow. He he also tried to get a version of a song from Bob Dylan, but Bob Dylan was going through his Christian phase at that moment and just started it and decided, nope, can't do that either. But we do get some pretty cool songs throughout this whole movie. Actually, while we're on that subject of songs in the soundtrack, I think we should uh, discuss this week's fun fact. Woo! What? Okay, there is a score to this movie, and it's kind of interesting because it comes up from time to time, and I was like, all right, yeah, this is pretty cool. It was done by Elmer Bernstein, and there was a lot of push over the years as this built like a cult status to have the soundtrack released. Only, here is the, the interesting thing, the total amount of music that he made for the whole film yeah, came up to seven minutes. I believe that. <laughs> yep. A lot of cues, which I know because I score films, um, you know, where you do transitional cues sure. that are only a couple seconds long. But for actual music, yeah, it was only seven minutes worth of score. That's really small, though. <laughs> it is, but not a surprise. No. One of the features that I did, I, you know, normally will try and release a, a soundtrack for it or something. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll do a, I'll release something on iTunes for this. And when I was looking into it, I realized almost the entire score was just transitional cues and ambient music. Yep. And the actual music 
that I did for like an hour and a half film was only maybe 20 minutes worth. And yeah, I was really surprised by that too. I think that's probably true of a lot of films. Well, and because this is so heavy on the soundtrack too, like where you've got actual songs playing the whole Mm -hmm. time. Well-known songs, yes. So after all of that, David freaks out. He wakes up from having fallen asleep reading a book. He strips like you do when you wake up after having fallen asleep <laughs> sure, reading I do a that book. All the time. <laughs> and he begins what is, I think, the key scene in this whole movie. He begins to transform this is still, into a werewolf. Yeah, still to date considered one of the greatest transformations on film. And I would say, yeah, I couldn't believe. Yeah. And for me, first time watching this now... Um, I was still really impressed by it. it yeah, I don't know how they did it. Looks so good, you know. Yeah. It's really well done. Like the hair shooting out of the follicles. Oh, there's just well, you know that that has that went on to become a cliche, but sure. it's done better here. Like so it, good. This really is like this is the the gold standard of this is how you should do it. And uh, one of the other little subtle things I loved was that as he turns more into the werewolf. His hair changes color to become darker. Yep. There were just these subtleties that were so incredibly cool to watch. And yeah, sure, it's 1981. I'm going to, you know, not overlook that. Mm -hmm. But even for 1981, uh, I would have been just blown away and mesmerized to see this on the screen. Well, it's amazing because as you watch it, you'll see that they have paid attention to the musculature underneath the skin. So you'll see like his deltoids expanding and his muscles changing to become more dog-like in in like where they are bulkier and where they are more lean. Yeah. It's really fascinating his bones, his face, everything restructures. Obviously, you presume uh, maybe not obviously, but as I was watching it, I was thinking if everything is like this is happening to the outside, what's happening inside? Because his brain would obviously be changing. Yeah. And that kind of explains what he does from here forward. Because if you see this physical external expression of change, obviously something internal is happening. And that kind of explains the motivations as he moves forward to become a, uh, you know, a werewolf. Yeah, because it's a full moon out. Oh, because mm-hmm. it's been one month. That was the whole... I think that's why he had to be in the hospital that long. Otherwise, what? they would have been like, he was in the hospital for two days. What are we going to do in this script for, you know, another 28 days or Yeah, it's true. So he just had to get to London. Yeah, we just really had to get to uh, a month later. So he goes out and uh, kills the neighbors. There's, you know, a whole scene there. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised by this, too. I was like, okay, well... So he is a werewolf and we're not going to dance around that. No, he he's, uh, what is it, six people that night he kills? <laughs> yeah, I can't even remember. Five or six. Yeah. And um, there he wakes up the next day. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a funny scene. He wakes up at a zoo in the, the wolf's cage mm-hmm. with other ones. And he gets up and he's naked. How excited would you be to wake up cuddling a wolf? Yeah. That is funny. I would be so jazzed. But the, I mean, the cage was a little depressing. Yeah, well, he sneaks out and he's running around naked around the zoo, which is funny. It's a lot of humor here. Yeah, like he steals balloons from a boy and the little boy. Yeah, there's that little, yeah, the little boy, he, um, basically he's walking around with these balloons and, uh, David asks for the balloons to like cover himself so he can run away. And then the boy goes up to his mother and says this. Yes, love? A naked American man stole my balloon. 
what? <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. That is good. Yeah. And he shows back up at Alex's house. And in the meantime, Alex, she had been at work all day. She'd had like a long shift. She talked to the doctor who had returned from the slaughtered lamb. And he was like, actually, maybe he is a werewolf. So he's communicating with Alex as they're trying to find David because he is now missing. He shows back up at her house. She's there. And she's like, we got to go to the doctors because this is weird. And he is like straight up all over her. He's like, I've never felt this good. Let's... You yeah, know, go back to bed. Everything's yeah, great. Definitely. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's feeling, he's good. feeling himself. Yeah. On the radio, he hears about all of these grisly deaths that happened the night before. And this is when he realizes, oh, I'm not feeling so good. I actually just killed a whole bunch of people. And it's all true. Like, this is when the full weight of it hits uh, him. Yeah. And he realizes that he is, in fact, a werewolf, that he hasn't been losing his mind. Or if he has, he is obviously totally crazy and killing people. Well, and once he realizes that, uh, there's this kind of interesting scene where he wants to get locked up so that he can't hurt anybody. Yeah. And he goes out and he's just trying to, like, offend everybody and mess with this cop so that he'll arrest him. And the cop's like, I don't know, get out of here. He's at Piccadilly Circus right now. Yeah, he doesn't get arrested. He fails miserably on that. He tells Alex he's in love with her. And she's like, uh, you know, like kind of awkward because they have literally spent one night together and been in a hospital and he's crazy and thinks he's a werewolf. Yeah, that did really develop quickly. I mean, it's a movie. And then he runs away, which is really <laughs> dorky, quite frankly. So he runs away. The police are looking for him and he goes into a phone booth where he calls his house. So he calls, like makes a collect call to new york and in 1981 i think the price for that would have been one billion dollars yeah, i'm pretty sure <laughs> <laughs> i made a phone call once to australia in the it was it would have been the late 80s my family we have some friends in australia and we called them and it was like a long delay and as we spoke to australia we were just like whoa and i imagined my voice traveling down a wire like through Montana, all the way across the United States, mm-hmm. shooting into the ocean in California, and just all the way to Australia. I mean, because this was the 80s, I don't think we had satellites, but I imagine kind of a similar situation <laughs> happening I'm here. Sure, we had satellites in the 80s. No, we definitely, it was. they were first <laughs> developed in uh, 2014. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he calls home. And he says, like, a sad goodbye to his family, telling them he loves them. And then he pulls out the wimpiest pocket knife ever mm-hmm. and decides he's going to slit his wrists here because yeah. he doesn't want to hurt any more people. No, but before he does, he sees his buddy, um, Jack, over by a theater and follows him in. Mm-hmm. It's like a porno theater. It's a straight up porno theater. He goes in there. But what I like about this scene is that Jack's there. He's more decomposed. He's basically like Return of the Living Dead now. Oh, it's great because it's really they, cool they paid such good attention to the uh, muscles in the face. Yeah. Well, and it's smart because it's dark in there. So yeah. it looks even better. Absolutely. He's basically just like a skeleton with eyeballs now. Yeah. It looks awesome. 
And next to him are the people he killed, like, the night before. Yeah, so, like, a group of homeless men that he had killed, the yeah. couple. It's and they're great. all, like, guilting him, too. Like, laying on the guilt hardcore. Oh, yeah. Like, I was a dad, and now, you know, my child doesn't have a dad because of you. Oh, yeah, that guy. So, there's a guy in a subway scene that he killed that night, which is an amazing scene we didn't touch on. Yeah. Definitely go back and watch it. And he's there, and he's very British and very sarcastic. Yeah. But I, uh, this was probably one of the cooler scenes I thought was that the the corpse like talking looked so amazing. All of them do, and they're all telling him like you gotta you gotta end yourself because we all need to not follow you around forever. Yeah, but before we can do that, we're gonna kind of kick it into the final act of the film where mm-hmm. David transforms in the theater because it's evening full, again, still full moon, and he is ready to go. And now he's gonna kind of go. I was really surprised because he he transforms, he breaks out, and this went, like, this final moment of the film or kind of final scenes mm-hmm. is all in. Like, this is action-packed, and it is crazy. It's very gory. It's a lot yeah. gorier than I was expecting. He unleashes the beast in the theater, and the police are called, and the, like lead dude from Scott Scotland Yard comes in and gets his head severed. Yeah, it's awesome. Totally decapitated. Yeah, his head is like completely chopped off. He's just, it's so cool looking. And I think what's really clever is that we do see the werewolf quite a bit. Because he goes running through traffic now. But he never looks bad. Like... No, not really. I was kind of shocked. I was just waiting for this to fall apart when you finally saw him. Mm-hmm. Man, they did a good job of yeah. really disguising it. I hadn't actually watched this in a while, so I was afraid that it was going to be like a blue screen kind of situation. Mm. But it's really, really good uh, as far as the realism. Like the lighting is good and the way his placement within the scene is looks convincing. They just, they're kind of smart with the shots, too. Yes. I think one of my favorite favorite shots in the whole film was actually earlier in the subway scene when he's chasing that guy up the stairs but how you see it this is the first time we get to see the full werewolf like as an actual wolf Uh is looking down the stairs of the subway like from the street level down Mm -hmm. and you see him come out from like the shadows towards him but the werewolf on screen is so small. And the shot is so fast. And it's just him walking on all fours. And it looks mm-hmm. so incredibly scary. I, yes. I just, I thought it was really smart. And yes. so we're getting through this whole ending, which is just pure mayhem and chaos. Yeah, and- so he kills everybody in the porno theater and just takes that onto the streets. And he's he's wreaking havoc. Cars are having accidents. Yeah. People are just dying left and right. And he ends up cornered in an alleyway. Meanwhile, Alex and the doctor have decided, oh, he's for sure a werewolf. We yeah. put it all together because we're both detective doctor nurse. And they, they're they speeding back to the scene because they think, I don't know that they can handle it in some way. So they come flying back and they enter through the chaos and pandemonium alex breaks through a line of police and sees that he's trapped in this alleyway okay so this is the ending and we're going to talk about this because i again as a first time watch was not expecting this 
she comes in with the cliche like i love you you know who you are i'm talking to you kind of thing yeah she admits her love and it's like he senses that she who she is and you kind of expect that he's like oh and he's rational in there yeah and he's in the alley like cornered basically Mm -hmm. and the cops are all there and then out of nowhere uh, I definitely didn't see this is uh, I thought he was going to just be like, yeah, cool. Or like hold himself back in some yeah. way. Like I see you and I see that you're the woman I love. Yeah, but he, he goes at her and in a split second, the cops all open fire. They Mow take him down. him down. And then we see him laying there naked with bullet holes. And then it just is done. It cuts hard cut. Perfect. I Perfect. Was amazing ending, in my opinion. One of the best cinematic endings I, ever. I would strongly agree that this sealed the deal for me. Like, yep. there were moments. Let's talk about this now okay. that the film's done. There were moments in this where I felt like it lagged. I felt like they stayed on some scenes a little the too long. Stuff. The hospital scene dragged on way too long. But. Man, the the makeup, the the transformations, the kills, the gore was so incredible. Like and the ending. That ending though, when it was done in straight to credits, I was like, whoa. Yes. Yeah, I that ending alone did it for me. You don't get her grieving long you get term. Nothing. You don't hurt see her like weeping over his body. I love you. I love you. Come back. None of that. This is just reality. He He's was... just dead. He tried to lunge at her and kill her yeah. because he was a werewolf. Duh. Yeah. And the end. Also, all the ghouls released. We don't see it. We just know it happened. So what did you think? I really liked it. There was a couple parts where I was kind of like in and out of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, gosh, this is really not living up to the hype I thought it Was it, it the would. like kids in the hospital? Yeah, like, it was what just What was kinda, that? Yeah, there was just some scenes that were really slow or kind of not really important to the plot. Yeah. But man, when it hit, it hit hard. And yeah. what it had going for it deserves the attention that it gets. Mm-hmm. And I think now that I know what it is, upon future viewings, I'm going to like it even more. I would agree. I'm not a huge werewolf fan. I do nah. like werewolves. Let's let, let me change that. Werewolves don't like you, Eric. <laughs> right? Yeah, I like I like the idea of werewolves. I just feel like so many of those werewolf films are done poorly. Like they're not done well. They usually look cheesy. Mm-hmm. They're very cliche. Yeah. This one, I would say, if you didn't know the context, is kind of cliche. Mm-hmm. But this kind of set the tone. It was incredibly successful when it came out. You know, it was only made for, I don't, I didn't write them down, but I think it, it was like have been very five million or something. Yeah. And it made like 60 plus million right Jeez. away. Yeah, I mean, it did really well. It did really well. Um, and there are werewolf films I am more familiar with. Mm-hmm. And I would say I probably like this one even yeah. more than those ones. So... Yeah, i very, very impressed. Very happy I, I watched it. Um, I don't know if we discussed it at the beginning, but when did you first see this? Oh, early high school. Actually, yeah. the first time I saw it, I was holding a ferret. Okay, cool. Yep. Glad you shared that information. Yep. I was holding a ferret, so I was slightly distracted, so I had to watch <laughs> it again later. What did you think? I don't even know when the last time you saw this was, but what did you think of this now, watching it now? I enjoyed it, but, you know, like with any werewolf film, um, I have trouble believing it because 
I love dogs so much. Oh no, here we go. Lord of the dogs on on the soapbox. (laughs) Well, I just don't buy it. I don't buy it that they're vicious. Like wolves, any canine creature that they just want to kill people. So I straight up don't buy it. And so I, I never have like liked or understood the werewolf genre i think maybe it would be more exciting to people who have been maybe attacked by a dog and have that fear you know sort yeah, of i could see that in their life um it's true though if you were a werewolf if you turned would you be like i have to go just slaughter everybody in my sight or no. would you be like i'm just gonna run around the forest and like itch myself and pee drink on out, everything pee on ever oh i totally pee on everything and like that's really what a werewolf would do. Yes, they would spend 99% of their time peeing. So that that's in general why I've never gotten on board with a werewolf bandwagon. Because, like, how how much do you need to kill if you're just eating? Like, yeah. you'd get really full pretty quick. Yeah. Because there's a lot of meat on people. I yeah. feel like I rambled a lot. No, I... we really wanted your opinion. Lord of the Dogs opinions on a werewolf. This is <laughs> really the expert's advice. Okay. Anyway. Uh, well, yes. So I would say, without a doubt, Laser Graves approved on this one, which sounds stupid because I'm assuming I'm the only one listening to this that hasn't seen now it before. Now you have. Yeah, but now I have, suckers. Woo! Um, yeah. And great one. Really had fun with this one this week. Yeah. Watch it if you haven't. And yeah, if it's revisit been a while, it. check it, it holds back up out. nicely. The effects are killer. Yeah. Uh, literally. Literally, dude. <laughs> but if you uh, like what you heard, you can rate, review, subscribe, give us five stars anywhere you get your podcast. Or like I said at the beginning, you can check out all our back episodes at lasergraves.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, Please if you do. Want to follow us? We're on Instagram at lasergraves. Our personal sites are on there. I'm at death at 33 RPM. I'm at Mariah Rose Wimmer. And please also go listen to all of our friends that are podcasting. We have a ton of them out there. They're bringing you good stuff every single week too. We've got Bad Taste and Neon Brainiacs and Super Tat and Fright Vision and Reconcinimation. And I feel like I'm going to miss a ton. I know. You've set the bar too so, high. I know. I feel I always get nervous because I'm going to like leave somebody Who out. Say you love Satan, Witch Finger. Go just watch them all or listen to them all. But anyway, support podcasts, uh, support us and give us five stars. And uh, thank you so much for listening this week. I don't know what we're doing next week. But it's probably good. Golden Child. Definitely Golden Child. It was between that and this this week. So. <laughs> or Warlock. <laughs> it was, yeah. We'll find out who wins next week. No. This is Julian Sands saying goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>